so he was delayed. Like I, I was, I was just sure that you weren't gonna actually clap at all. <laughs> it's like it happened in like slow motion, waiting. Bam! Bam! Gotcha! Gotcha! You never man. know. You never know what you're gonna get. Yeah, man. Could be one clap. Could be two. <laughs> A crazy podcast we live in. We never know what's gonna happen, and that's why we just want to say to you, welcome to the Pod Charles <laughs> Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. My name is Jonathan Foster. I'm not quite hyped up yet, but I'm trying to get there. And uh, I'm here with my boy, Phil. <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe this adopted stepson, cousin, nephew, granddaughter. Me a step granddaughter. Yeah. But my boy, Wonder Phil here will be able to figure out uh, what kind of existential issues we are having as a <laughs> podcast, as a person as a being as an entity as a reality yeah i mean reality is subjective we all know that um time <laughs> of the contract <laughs> what's up phil <laughs> uh i'm hello um hello. i'm not i'm hello uh i'm not the one to really like try and get you hyped i'm usually the like the debbie downer, downer. the debbie downer <laughs> 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 um, no yeah I've injured myself again. Did you? Yeah, What'd you but do? I'm, I'm on the podcast this week. I'm not yeah. going to let it stop me. Oh, is it your back again? No, no. Yeah, I'm like 50 years old. I keep throwing out my back. <laughs> Every time it rains, I'm like, ooh. Um, no, I went for a run and took a nasty fall and I like, tore up my leg and my hand. My hand's all right now. But it was like, I was just like bleeding. Shit. And I was just like, it was like halfway through my run and I was like, I could finish or just go home. And I just gave up and walked down. <laughs> and it was so weird because I landed on my left side. So my left knee, like it cut to shit and mm. like I smashed my phone and, and I thought that was it. And now that knee is fine. And my other knee suddenly really hurt. Ooh. And there's a huge bruise on it. So I just hope you appreciate how brave it is for me to be here. <laughs> I was going to belittle you a little bit and she was like, oh, did you not learn anything from any of those like videos where someone like pulls an ACL while they're in some marathon and someone picks them up and they run to the finish line together? And they're like nipple to bleeding and he's like shitting himself. <laughs> he's like shaking. No, I'm not that bad, but I run, you know, I just run as fast as I can for half an oh, hour okay. and then Jeez. try not to die. You're just, um, would you hit like a crack in the semen or something? Yeah, the, the bit. It's the same bit of the road. I've tripped there before, and I don't learn. I still run. It's the bit where the road gets like really narrow, and the pavement is like all jaggedy and like yeah. coming out, and it's like a little triangle shape. <laughs> so it's really easy to trip over there. Um, yeah, it just happened, and there were lots of people there to see. Nobody said anything. Shit. They just kind of walked by, um, and that was enough. I think nice. that was enough. And that was the end of my running career. <laughs> That's it. You're done. I'm done. Retiring need... on top. Yeah. Or face Quit down on in the top. cement. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I sort of injured my, myself yesterday as well. I was uh, uh, getting off of my bed. Like I'm making that sound <laughs> like it's fucking huge. But yeah, I was, I was getting up and I was going in, like leaving the bedroom and I, I don't know. I just hit my shin against the side of the bed really fucking hard. And I do it all the time as well. It's a really like low bed. 
And uh, I thought it was going to look worse today, but it looks fine. But it was the worst. It went straight into the bone. And then a lump sort of... (laughs) And it was like painful to just like walk or anything. I thought I was just going to have this giant hematoma or something on my my leg. But uh, it looks all right. I mean, it's a bit of a welt there, but... Oh, we're doing okay. Uh, can, wait, wait. Can you hear this? It's the world's smallest violin. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I don't know. I did venture out, and I did a big, epic walk on Sunday. Where'd you go? I live in Deptford, so I, like New Cross area. Walked down to Greenwich, went out of the footpath tunnel, and then walked all the way to Tower Bridge crossed and then came back <laughs> just along the river pretty much um the huge four hour walk uh non-stop got a, a big blister on the bottom of my feet it's pretty cool man <laughs> but i hadn't done a really insane walk in so long so it was really good just to get out but there was far uh-huh. too many people outside and it sort of felt like it was a normal sunday in the city of London. <laughs> that's what it yeah. That's what it felt like when I go out. It felt like back to normal. Nothing yeah. changed. I mean it hadn't, but people I mean it depends where you go. Like I when I go to Central, mm-hmm. it's way less people than I'm used to. Yeah. Um, but like around here, around my neck of the woods. Everybody chilling, going to the pubs. Pubs are open like earlier now. Like <laughs> I guess that's just a demand. Like they're open at like ten AM. Yeah. And it's like yeah, it's like okay. I guess you have nothing else to do if you're yeah. not at work. You know. <laughs> All these people still working from home. Just like, eh, I'll just go to the pub. Eh, yeah, keep, I can work Keep my pub. WhatsApp on, you know, one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Going on break. Yeah. <laughs> Neck and a Bud Light. Proud sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, there's going to be plenty of sponsorships later. We'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know that that can get us into what's going on at the podcast at the at the cinema. cinema. I mean, there's not much going on at the cinema. Yeah, uh, I I don't have anything this week really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Great. I don't know. Last couple of weeks, we sort of made our announcements that we weren't going to be opening in July. We're still trying to figure out, you know, what day we're actually going to open. We're kind of evaluating, making sure everything's cool, but we need to make sure we're in the best place. We feel comfortable, and we know that you guys will feel comfortable coming back to the cinema. But until then, you can always support your cinema because you know we don't have much else going on. We're not really selling any tickets yet. So if you want to help us out, the best way to do that is buy a membership 10 pounds a year or 60 pounds for a lifetime that lasts forever and uh if you already have a membership you can buy a membership for a friend or a family member or just some guy at the office that you haven't seen in three months you know gift memberships or you can buy gift vouchers or you can cash them in for future cinema tickets or uh, drinks snacks whatever you want it's all at princecharlescinema.com look at that I felt like Truman now. I'm like, what What are you talking about? Who, <laughs> yeah. who are you talking to? Who, who are you talking to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what? Who's they? <laughs> uh, um, we had the George episode. People seem to like that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to get into some user feedback. Hey, hey, hey. User feedback. 
hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it's been a little while since we've done user feedback, so uh, I apologize. I don't know. I, it's been kind of a funny few weeks where we've had these big, what we're calling Mamma Jamma episodes. <laughs> Mamma Jamma. Uh, you know, some big, big episodes, big things going on. Obviously, with things like Jaws, you get a little bit more feedback. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of user feedback here. David Ricard, who, or Rickard, I apologize if I keep saying your name wrong, but you're the boy who wanted this episode, <laughs> this Jaws episode. Uh, and so, David said, absolutely loving this episode. Thank you for doing this, guys. You've absolutely smashed it. Uh, and I replied and said something. I can't remember what it was like. Oh, we actually did something. I don't know. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you've helped me get through this lockdown enormously. So yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, that was nice to hear. Yeah, glad that we could finally do that for you. Uh, Jaws was fun. <laughs> I'm glad the only person who wanted it wasn't disappointed. <laughs> In my head, I'm like, how could they be? Because it's really long. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we make up like a uh, lack of quality for with quantity. You know, yeah, yeah. You may not be enjoying it, but two hours. <laughs> of course, you're gonna like it. It's really long. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how anything works. <laughs> uh, we also had our pal Malcolm. What's up, Malcolm? He said at the PCC podcast from the Spike Lee episode. So I'm assuming he was just catching up a little bit. Uh, Jonathan, Phil, what have you got going on? What's going with you? Phil, fuck all, man. <laughs> he said that made me laugh much harder than it should have. And uh, yeah, so Phil, we're expecting uh, some quick witted banter like this. Well, that's for the that's rest what I'm of here episode. for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ask, ask me again. Ask me again. Phil, what, what? what you got going on, man? Sweet fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet F.A., bro. <laughs> Sweet F.A. All right, Phil. A year before people began questioning, what if we live in a simulation after seeing The Matrix? And a year before the big re- reality TV boom that started with the first episode of Big Brother in the Netherlands, there existed the bold and the present. The Truman Show. 30 years ago, the Omnicam Corporation created the ultimate reality-based television experience, The Truman Show. Beginning with a child's birth, they set out to document an entire human life, every single moment, broadcast live to the world. They created his hometown of Sea Haven, all of it completely enclosed within the dome of the Truman stage. Cue the sign. And even though The Truman Show has become an international phenomenon, Truman himself has never learned the true nature of the world around him. Truman! It's television! Yes! Despite some close calls, every aspect of his life has been carefully scripted and meticulously crafted. But the one thing no one could predict was who Truman Burbank would grow up to be. Good morning! Morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I hereby proclaim this planet Trumania of the Burbank Galaxy. 
<laughs> just jumping in yeah jumping right in i'm like that's a dark opening like, you, know, that, you know yeah i feel like this is going to be long guys i uh i was said to phil before we hit record that uh i'm gonna um do something a little bit chiller we'll just do like big episode chill episode big episode chill episode and then i just like ended up going crazy doing research for this uh so it's probably gonna be long we'll see what happens so I let's just let's just get into it. <laughs> <laughs> on the air, unaware. Insurance salesman. That's just a really great tagline, by the way. It is, yeah. I always think of the poster, you know, <laughs> yeah. the billboard with his face on it. And yeah. That's what's written right next to it. He's just asleep. Insurance salesman Truman Burbank is oblivious of the fact that he is the star of the biggest reality TV show in the world with his family, friends, and the townspeople of the fictional seaside town of Seahaven Island all in on the charade. After he notices things aren't quite what they seem, Truman begins to uncover the truth and make his escape. So it's the 1998 genre-bending comedy drama from Australian director Peter Weir, who is also known for doing The Dead Poet Society, Witness, and Master and Commander, they're not all good, apart from the last one. <laughs> hey, man, some people like really like that film these days. I don't know. It's one of those things where I feel like uh, it's taken a while for people to really come appreciate. around to and appreciate. I don't know. Uh, and it was written by the New Zealand writer-director Andrew Nichol, who did Gattaca, Simone, In Time, and he provided story to The Terminal. Shout out Spielberg last week. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> he yeah, listens to his podcast. Yeah, he listens to his podcast, bro. He was like, oh, y'all did this Jaws episode. You really got to the core of what I had to go through yeah, when bro. I made that film, brother. I think that sh- shark did not work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. We-, we should just talk about a little bit about Truman Show. What- what's your thoughts? I mean, I have a lot to say about Truman Show. So I w- uh, and I know we'll get into it, especially with like you know, uh, Truman Show delusions and how yeah. people can feel that way in their own life. And I've studied it at multiple points in my scholastic career, if you will. Um, we were saying just before, like we looked at it in high school, I think for English Lit or something. Mm-hmm. Now it's really in-depth discussion. And that's when I sort of really became really fascinated with the film. And then it came up again at film school. And it's a film I revisit every, every year, every couple of years. And I think it's, brilliant and dark and um you know predate a lot of like what culture and what celebrity would become and how we see our own lives i'm glad you even brought up the matrix and i kind of entwined the two yeah in terms of they still they deal with a lot of the same social philosophy the idea of living in simulation and also yeah. the like the actual benefits of that, like there's mm-hmm. an argument to be made in the movie that it's better to stay in the bubble yeah. than, or to venture out into the real world where, you know, bad things could happen, but at least it's his own life. <laughs> Not getting into all that. It's a great film. It's funny. It's dark. It's timely. It's 
really like interesting film to watch visually, just the way it's made because it's made to look like uh, a reality show, like a yeah. hidden camera show for the most part until mm-hmm. it like pulls back the curtain. And it's, it's just great. It's really like relatable on some really strange level. And I think, I think it's my favorite Jim Carrey performance as well. Oh yeah. It's the one I get. To, I think it's the perfect marriage of him. He gets to do both without either undermining the other. Yeah. Like he made comedy that have like sentimental endings, but like, you know, and he'd made drama where he gets to joke a couple of times, but this seems like he gets to do both really, really well. And it served the movie well. Absolutely. Um, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think of Truman Show? Yeah. Pretty similar. Basically all that you said with, just the thoughts and everything behind it. And even more so after doing like ridiculous research last night. Uh, yeah, I, I was just thinking it's just a fun Jim Carrey film and, you know, I hadn't seen it in a while. I absolutely love the film. Uh, I knew, you know, I know what it all entails and blah, 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 but it's just like when you see it again for the first time in quite a few years and then you have fresh eyes on it and just everything that's going on in the world, uh, and how crazy, things get and just being a little bit older you just like really can sink your teeth into like what it actually is and there's so much more going on obviously just on the surface level with this film and then there's things that are just deep in the film like embedded in the film uh and then there's just things behind the scenes that i never knew about until i start looking into this story and how it was made and all that sort of stuff that it just it's a really just layered it's like an onion uh or cake cake tough layer (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah it's it's really good though i i i don't know if i would say it's like my favorite jim carrey performance but it's definitely up there and like maybe number two i really man on the moon one yeah man on the moon i feel like might be my favorite which was yeah the next year um we'll get into a little bit more about jim carrey and stuff but i mean he I grew up like absolutely loving Jim Carrey uh, would go around, you know, imitating all of his characters from like his crazy mega, you know, successful 1994, 1995, 1996 sort of era. Untouchable. Yeah. And then also before that in living color, um, I was a massive fan of in living color as a little kid. So yeah, I, I've always loved Jim Carrey. I even, will apologize for things that I think some people will probably be like, Oh, that shit. Like fun with Dick and Jane, I think is a very, very fun movie. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's That's just a him. weird one to, He's, yeah, I know. I'm just thinking like a, a random, a random, not, it's not new anymore, but one of the later Recent. films that, uh, people I know shit on a little bit. Like yes, man. <laughs> yeah. Which I actually still haven't seen that one, but, uh, that's a good one. But yeah, I'm. You I'm know keen what? Fuck it. it. I like Sonic the Hedgehog, and he was great in it. <laughs> I've heard great things. I still haven't yeah. seen it, but I've heard great things about him in it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim Carrey's great. Um, well, we'll get more into this. Like I said, it's going to be a, a beast of an episode, whether or not you believe it or not. It's <laughs> it is. There's a lot to it. Um, this film just dropped recently on Netflix uh, here in the UK, maybe in America as well. So it's a lot of people are talking about it all over the internet. Uh, Twitter was a buzz the last week. So it felt timely just to jump into it. 
So Andrew Nichol, he wrote a one-page spec script back in 1991 titled The Malcolm Show because the character <laughs> was originally called Malcolm. Shout out Malcolm. Shout out Malcolm. It could have been you. listener, Patreon subscriber. Uh, I'm assuming this show was about you and your life. Yeah. Where's the Phil show? <laughs> I mean, I know that I live it all the time. It's boring as fuck, but still. That's just what this podcast is. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> to everyone who watches and listens. <laughs> but uh, the original story was way darker and moodier, and it leaned more into the, like the sci-fi thriller territory. So that's why I said this is a bit genre-blending anyway, because it's almost that sort of, it's, you know, it's a comedy drama. It's a dramedy, whatever you want to call it. But sure. it's sort of almost sci-fi anyway. And No, it definitely touched it that with the idea of they create this weird utopian society around this mm-hmm. one orphan boy and they kind of steal him away at birth. And yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's very sci-fi. They could yeah. have lent way further into it. And I think it's only sci-fi because of the time it was made. If that's now, you're like, yeah, that's, TV. that's, <laughs> that's not just, that big of a jump from yeah. what we already know. But at that that's time, right. you're like, this is crazy. I can't believe they would do this. And yeah. now people actively want that to happen. They mm-hmm. Most people would be like, yeah, I would give myself up to be on a TV show. (laughs) Which is sad. (laughs) Yeah. Or a podcast. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The lead character, Malcolm, though, or Truman, whichever. (laughs) Should we keep calling him Malcolm? We'll call him Malcolm throughout. Uh, Yeah, apparently in some of these versions, like there was a lot of different versions of this early script, but like he might have been more so in his late teens, fresh out of high school, and he was living this paranoid existence and he was beginning to suspect that his whole life was being filmed. Uh, the story was also, it was going to be set in a metropolis like New York city. Uh, Andrew Nichols said, I think everyone questions the authenticity of their lives at certain points. It's like when kids ask if they're adopted and that was sort of like his mindset behind it all. There was a lot of other weird stuff. Like, I mean, like things, if you want to get more into the story, like so there's the Sylvia character um that he he met on the outside. And, yeah on that's on the outside that he met that left the show and he like really loved her and stuff and I think he does create like a like images of her using magazine cutouts a collage, stuff, yeah. like a collage but yeah I think he's like going around sleeping with like a prostitute as well like you know just trying to I don't know have some sort of other experience there's a little bit more. Would they offer that on the island? <laughs> I don't know. Well, like I said, it was darker and like in a in a um, supposed to be in some like metropolis, city, like New York yeah, City fine. or something. Um, so there was a lot more weird stuff with that, like where he, you know, I don't know. There was like the whole thing with the baby, you know, and they wanted to use the baby as a uh, basically the successor to Truman. You know, like yeah, to, to keep the show to going. keep the show going, and it would be about his baby's life, and yeah, it was just really God. I didn't even darker. think about that. That's yeah. even darker and more fucked up. Like yeah. he he acts like he cares so much about Truman, like the guy who runs the show, but yeah. he's obviously pushing the kid one yeah. because he wants the first on live on live TV birth. But you're right, could Truman is questioning everything. Yeah, um, or he will eventually die, and who knows how long exactly. we can keep this experiment going. <laughs> yeah, that's so fucked up. Yeah, it's no, weird. I didn't, that's a whole nother layer. Yeah, and I think his like whole fight with Meryl when he starts to sort of like question everything and gets really crazy with her. And, like, Somebody help a me, bit, yeah. 
yeah, it's a little bit darker. Um, and then when he escapes, he actually does come face to face with Kristoff, the creator. And like, there's a whole like deeper, darker thing to it. I don't know. It's pretty wild. It would have been interesting to see, uh, when I was looking up some stuff, like a lot of people who've read those early scripts, which I think you can find them on the internet, um, have said that it like feels like it'd be more of like dark city or, or like which makes sense in my head i'm like that sounds like dark city or uh you know like some sort of fincher film or something like that you know but in the fall of 1993 hollywood's biggest asshole the most feared man in town the notoriously hot tempered producer scott rudin uh those are all things that he's been called <laughs> oh, okay. that's not just you but, uh, projecting yeah scott rudin uh he's big time producer i mean jesus christ he's done some crazy films uh, won quite a few Oscars, worked with like Wes Anderson, uh, with like Royal Tenenbaums. And I think he did Darjeeling Limited as well. Uh, Life Aquatic. He's produced like No Country for Old Men, executive produced There Will Be Blood in the same year. So quite a crazy resume. Uh, but he bought the script for slightly over $1 million. And then Paramount was immediately agreeing to distribute the film with the budget of around $80 million. So part of that deal called for Andrew Nichol to have his directorial debut. Uh, but Paramount thought with the $80 million budget, it was just way too high for a rookie director. In addition, Paramount wanted to go with an A-list director, even paying Nichol extra money to step aside. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pay you to not make this movie. <laughs> yeah. So this was like 93 area. He wrote it, originally wrote it in 91. But I mean, by the time... The film came out in 98. He would end up directing Gattaca, which ended up being a pretty big sci-fi mm-hmm. hit. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's a director now. He's done a lot of stuff. But, uh, yeah, they didn't want him then. So, Phil, <laughs> are you ready? No, I'm not ready. Enter, and I kid you not, an A-list director, <sighs> Brian <Ready>. De Palma. <laughs> I am not lying. You're shitting me. (laughs) It can't happen every time. (laughs) Every time. I swear to God, I just typed in Brian De Palma Truman Show before I even started anything. (laughs) And that was like, it came up. He was one of the first directors. (laughs) And he was going to do it. I swear to God, I'm not lying. It sounds like now I'm lying Every time I bring up Brian De Palma in this uh, in this podcast, or it's always just really a, me reaching for like. Sometimes it is me reaching. Like last week, I mean, no, it's no, that apparently true. Good. But you know, yeah. it was a great Brian De Palma. That's the connection. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this this I swear to God, Brian De Palma was in fact in discussions to direct, but he left the project when he parted ways with United Talent Agency in 1994. Uh, there wasn't much details about this whole thing i don't know and i don't really recall him mentioning it in that documentary that i watched that noah bombach did yeah yeah. but uh yeah i mean (laughs) he was gonna do it it would have kind of been in his wheelhouse with that weird sort of voyeuristic sort of side he has it would have been probably better in the darker side the darker tone which i think is what existed at the time that version yeah other directors that were Considered after De Palma left the production was uh, Tim Burton, 
who would have been wacky. Uh, Terry, yeah, for sure. Terry Gilliam, a different kind of wacky. It was like goth wacky and then just like wacky wacky. <laughs> yeah, there's no, that's not the right amount of wacky. <laughs> and then in between goth wacky and wacky wacky is Barry Sonnenfeld. <laughs> that's pretty good, yeah. yeah. Like men in bike, like pushing dating, like practical <laughs> wacky. <laughs> and then uh, shark tamer extraordinaire Steven Spielberg was uh, also on the list of people. And then there was the very problematic director, Brian Singer, who wanted to direct the film, but the studio at the time was like, you're still too new in your career. We want someone with a little bit more experience. So on Andrew Nichols' suggestion, <laughs> we we're just glossing over Brian Singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah could, I, we could keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on Andrew Nichols' suggestion, uh, Peter Weir ultimately became the director when he agreed that he could do the movie for $60 million, $20 million less than the original budget. That's yeah, all it man. takes. Yeah, yeah, dude. What a, you want a job, just offer it to do it for less. <laughs> <laughs> Weir had been requesting his managers send him broken screenplays, things that he could fix up and smooth out. Uh, and this is how he came across Andrew Nichols' script. And he admitted to the New York Times in 1998 that he was still uncertain about the project even after signing on to direct. He said it was like trying to pick up a hedgehog, he said. Uh, it was bristling with metaphors and I was concerned about whether or not I could take the audience with me on this journey that would break some of the conventions of mainstream movie making. That's a difficult movie to make. I would look yeah. at it on the paper and be like, how the fuck am I supposed to do this? <laughs> yeah. Weir loved uh, Nichols' script, but he found the Metropolitan setting unrealistic, believing that a television studio would not go to the expense building a vast New York skyline, which is definitely, definitely true, uh, considering that he got his job because he was willing to <laughs> do the film for less money. So, Cut the budget. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Weir also, he wanted the film to be funnier, feeling that Nichols' script was way too dark and declaring... Where Nickel had it depressing, I would make it light. It could convince audiences that they could watch this show in this scope for 24-7. And Nickel wrote like 16 drafts of this script before Weir considered the script ready for filming. There's a lot of tinkering going yeah. on. It's I bet at one enough. point he was like, okay, I'm going to make it cheaper and funnier. One, <laughs> we get rid of the city. Two, we replaced all the actors with puppets. <laughs> Three, we just dumped this whole script, this whole yeah. idea. <laughs> oh, man. So Peter Weir would scout locations in eastern Florida, but he was dissatisfied with the landscapes. And there was also some sound stages down in Florida in Universal Studios that were preserved for the story's setting of Sea Haven before Weir's wife introduced him to Seaside, Florida, which is a real master plan community that's located on the Florida Panhandle. Pre-production offices were immediately opened in Seaside, where the majority of the filming took place, and then other scenes were just shot at Paramount Studios in Los Angeles. And they used a lot of like Norman Rockwell paintings and 1960s postcards as inspiration for the film's design. And Weir and his team also researched surveillance techniques for certain shots because, like we've said, I mean, this is there was a little bit of reality TV going on. Obviously, you had like MTV's Real World at the time. Yeah. It was like a thing in the early 90s or late 80s. Uh, there was Road Rules as well. But I mean, there wasn't much by way of traditional 
reality television to really go by. So they were looking at just surveillance and it kind of turned out that's just how reality TV would work anyway. <laughs> like, what end up looking. Do you yeah. ever watch Tough Enough? Yeah. 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 That was the only that's one of the few I really got into could do real world, but with wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Including people who were on real world. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that, that's what Truman Show sort of reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah. Make me want to go back and watch him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the cast. So obviously there's Jim Carrey. We talked about him already. Truman Burbank. So originally attached to the film, probably in the early script days. And I've even seen that he even films some stuff. I don't know. There's a lot of misleading stuff about this production, but Gary Oldman was originally going to play the Truman character. And uh, I think he was sort of like, no one cares about me. No one's going to care about me in this not story. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. That would have been very strange. Uh, but it would have worked in the dark sci-fi thriller universe. In the hooker universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> Uh, Andrew Nichol was also keen on Robin Williams to play the role because he thought he could really sell as soon as they were like, oh, let's do a little bit funnier, a little bit lighter. Uh, he knew Robin Williams could do that, but also could do the dramatic side because Robin Williams had been known for doing a little bit darker sort of stuff anyway, you know, especially in that time period, though, like late 80s, early 90s was branching yeah. out from his prototypical sort of like comedy side. Exactly. This is post Goodwill Hunting and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, because Goodwill Hunting was ninety four, something like that. And like mid ninety. Yeah. Yeah, mid ninety. So yeah, I mean, but a lot of this stuff is going on through the early nineties. So it took a while for them to get to making this film, mm-hmm. and that was because Peter Weir was really big on Jim Carrey, and that was like his first choice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Despite working with Williams' own Dead Poets Society, he was more interested in uh, Jim Carrey. So Jim Carrey was signed on to the film in 1995 after Peter Weir, you know, he just thought he would be great in the film. He had seen him in 1994's, you know, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective and Dumb and Dumber. And he thought he had that like Charlie Chaplin quality uh, where he can be incredibly funny, but also able to approach like serious subjects gracefully. So yeah, Jim Carrey, who is a member of a the $20 million per picture club, which is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Which also includes someone like Tom Cruise, I believe, is in that list. Yeah, like Makes Robert Downey Jr. probably. And then Chris Tucker? <laughs> Don't rush out movie. Yeah. I'm telling you. That's why Chris Tucker does very little, I think, is just because you, know, you just want it so yeah. much goddamn money. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, Jim Carrey was coming off an incredible string of comedies. $20 million per picture. And he decided to take an $8 million pay cut because he just really believed in the film. He wanted to do something that was, you know, just a little bit different. So yeah, he took this big pay cut, which is not really that big at all. Cause he still ended up with $12 million, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. Jim Carrey has said that, uh, being constantly watched by fans and paparazzi really helped him to relate to Truman because I mean, he was, giant star at this time mm. uh but before carrie could shoot the film had to be put on hold for another year i mean there's just so much delays into making this film as he had commitments to shoot liar liar and the incredibly <laughs> underrated 
The Cable Guy. Yeah. Fucking love that film. Both a great, both great movie. The yeah. goddamn pen it blew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it becomes like a perfect storm of delays and uh, like castings and stuff. Like Jim Carrey is perfect for the role. Yeah. And you're right. He come off uh, an incredible like string, just hit after hit. Like just ninety four alone, it's like you said, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and The Mask. Yeah. And you're like, oh my god. And then it's like Batman Forever and stuff like that, and the next Ace Ventura, and then. By the Truman, that's a risky movie for him to make during that mm-hmm. period. But by the time the movie catches up with him, not only is he the biggest star on the planet, so it were, like naturally it makes sense, but he's already starting to push himself with the cable guy, which a lot of people hated when it came out. But now it's sort of a cult it's movie. It's so good. I, it's so you know, good, cable so guy weird. is up there. Some of my favorite Jim Carrey performances. Definitely. Is so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Underrated as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm glad it was him. I'm glad yeah. he got to do it in the end. Yeah. So obviously they had to wait this year, but like, you know, Peter Weir was just like, I really like this guy. So I really want him to do it. We're willing to do this. So yeah, they waited. Uh, you know, people, when they were making the film, people were on set were forbidden from uttering phrases from Jim Carrey's like silly movies. Like, uh, so like must I have been pretty... <laughs> <laughs> That's all I would say to him. He's like, just puts like a little bit of mashed potatoes on his plate at catering. Like, yeah. oh <laughs> you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> <laughs> just keep oh, going. Sorry. Yeah. Somebody stop me! <laughs> but yeah, Jim Carrey and Peter Weir initially filmed working to, on set together to be pretty difficult. With the accent, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carrey's contract uh, gave him the power to demand rewrites and stuff. Uh, it sounds like he, he had that Hulk Hogan contract, <laughs> making all the money mm. and creative control. Yeah, yeah brother for life. <laughs> but uh. <laughs> I think Ed Leslie had some, <laughs> would have something to say about that. Zodiac killer. Yeah, uh, Weir was impressed by Carrie's improvisational skills. So the two became more interactive and stuff. And that whole Trumania bit, like this in my background right now with uh, Jim Carrey. Trumania. You know, yeah. Doing the whole thing in the, wind, in the mirror. Like, like that was all man. improvised. He came up with all that. There was quite a few things i think from that session that he did and they you know there's deleted scenes i think that you can find maybe on home releases or on the internet somewhere but like just other things that he drew on the mirror and just like dumb little just a things. massive dick <laughs> <laughs> that's all i do yeah. on the mirror <laughs> we'll get into a little bit more jim carrey in a bit but next there's laura linney as hannah gill as Meryl Burbank. <laughs> that's hard to keep up with. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, Who would take that job? Like, that's such a hard job. With an actor. Yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, that's like real method shit. And so she clearly hates him. It's weird. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I feel like we need to kind of get... I, I think we need to get through these characters before I really start dissecting a little bit more Story. about that shit because there's so much like... To the ethical side. It's the implication, like, John. Yeah, again. it's the implication. And on the <laughs> island, you know? <laughs> They're on the island. Truman's not going to say no. 
They won't let him. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so Laura Linney, she took some inspiration from her own mother for the film, uh, not to play actress Hannah Hart, but to play actress Hannah Hart playing Meryl Burbank, uh, Truman's wife. And, she, you know, Truman's wife was a nurse at Sea Haven Hospital. So Linney's mother was a cancer nurse at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. So, yeah, like uh-huh. she took a little bit of that inspiration. And then she also heavily studied Sears Roebuck catalogs from the 1950s t- to develop like her character's poise. Yeah. And with that, I will have to say snack time. Snack time. Quarantine. Snack time. Quarantine. 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 It's snack time. Lockdown. Down. <laughs> I love that theme song. You know, so, I'm so ah. Oh, I'm a bitch. Go ahead. What do you got? What do you got? No, you took my idea because I tried so hard out looking all throughout the <laughs> shop and out looking at like anything connected. And the only thing I could think of was what you're holding yeah okay well today's snack time is sponsored by Care- cadbury, cadbury drinking cadbury cadbury drinking chocolate it's mococa you're gonna love this in a cup when it's hot truman i just want to tell you that you're gonna enjoy it what are you talking about it has actual <laughs> chocolate and you just stir it right into the hot milk why do you have ba- want to have babies with me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I got this. I've not opened it yet, and I have a little bit of milk here in a cup, but it's it's like oat milk. It's been sitting here for like half an hour. Exactly. <laughs> and I was I've like, got some I w- hot water as well in a thermos. Mom, I, so I we'll didn't see. do all that because I was like, that's too much effort to try and make <laughs> hot cocoa live on the air. Yeah. I just have some Maltese. <laughs> nice. Classic. I've just been in the mood lately, you know? All right, so three, three teaspoons. I want to hear the teeth. Nice. All right. This is going to be god awful. This reminds me of like making the hot cocoa at the cinema and we just didn't have a way to make the hot milk. <laughs> I know. Pe- so people bad. come in and be like, do you have hot chocolate? And I'd have to lie and say no. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, I'm like, trust me, you don't want it. You don't, you don't want, want it. it. <laughs> I served it once to a customer and they immediately were like, I'm sorry, I can't drink that. And I was like, don't worry, you can have anything else you want. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the cinema i'm not hating on it it's just there's no way to really serve the milk really warm if we microwave it but then you get like the weird film on top yeah and also it's just a lot of it's time consuming so i would never recommend getting hot cocoa there coffee's fine coffee coffee's could. quite good now you know, yeah it got better actually, yeah. it got better quentin tarantino enjoyed it People, oh, love hearing those, people love hearing those fun facts about yeah. like when directors come to the cinema, but when he was here for that Directors UK thing, he asked for a cup of coffee and he was like, oh, quite good. Really? <laughs> yeah. He's actually surprised. Yeah. It's I like Harvey Keitel really liked the popcorn. That's horrible. <laughs> it's ah, horrible. Shit. Absolutely horrible. Oh, uh, yeah. wow. Mine is much better. I <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Good stuff. Good yeah. crunch. Was your ranking for a Malteser? I'm a big fan of Malteser. They've been one of my favorites since I was a kid. So I never want to give anything a perfect rating, though. 
Yeah. So it gets like four and a half out of five. That's high though. That's, that's um, so respectable. What's what's the thing in the Truman Show? Uh, four and a half cameras. Cameras <laughs> out of five. Hidden cameras. <laughs> Just one yeah. that's slightly obscured by like some dude's head. <laughs> it gets four and a half. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Okay, so don't see ya. <laughs> I don't see ya. Uh, I'll uh, give this hot cocoa uh, zero out of five because I made <laughs> it very badly. I'm sure it's probably pretty good, but I don't think Cadbury is going to be sponsoring this podcast anytime soon. No, not uh, with all this so trash talking. Don't know if I care. So zero <laughs> out of five, and it's all because of my. You know, it's me. It's the maker. It's not. I you barely know. had any though. You can't judge yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> 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 but I can't create good hot cocoa, but Ed Harris as Kristoff can create a whole world. <laughs> so originally though, Dennis Hopper was hired to play the the role of Kristoff. But it was it. there's some different stories here of why he left production. It's really confusing. I don't even know how long it was. I've read different things that he was there for a couple months, and then I read that he was only there for two days. But anyway, one of the reasons was that he left due to creative differences. But also one of the other reasons is that I saw that he made an agreement with Scott Rudin that they, you know, that they should, should they not like his performance, that he'd be let go. And apparently that was within two days. I don't know. (laughs) Dennis Hopper. I mean, this is a time period where Dennis Hopper had done like speed you know, he come back to romance, yeah, Super Mario Super Brothers. Mario Brothers, like he had a <laughs> Blue big, Velvet. Yeah, yeah, he was a big, big baddie in film, mm. and like, yeah, it was making a really good comeback, and yeah, absolutely amazing and phenomenal. And for some reason, just wasn't working out. Mm. But in a weird twist, Dennis Hopper went on to do Ed TV. <laughs> I've never seen Ed TV. That kept really? coming up when I was looking into the movie. Yeah. I don't know what the connection to it's probably similar. Yeah, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I remember it vaguely. And, you know, it's Ron Howard's flop of a film. It was a big <laughs> flop. And uh, it was about a common man participating in a reality TV show. And that came out like the year after Truman Show. Um, well, the odds. And they were making it at, sort of at the same time. So it was kind of kind of weird. Like, it's not like it was a. I don't know, some people would be like, oh, it was a ripoff of Truman Show, but apparently it was sort of coming out at the same time. I don't know. Really that happened. That happened with Hollywood so yeah. often. Like, and I don't know. It may, Maybe some, like it only takes someone else getting a look at his spec script. Yeah. And, you know, they just take the general idea and change everything else. Absolutely. And, but it's like what every year, there's always like two of the same, like the world ends and this is the end. Yeah. And like, you know, just friends and no friends with benefits and just friends. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. No strings attached. No and strings no friends attached, with benefits. Yeah. Um, They're all the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's loads of those. Yeah. I don't know. I think part of the reasons with a TV is that like it suffered because of Truman show. Cause Truman show was so well received, which I'll get into in a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it did so well that a TV sort of, it was more of a parody satire sort of film and mm-hmm. um, it wasn't meant to be taken as seriously, but then they tried to, because Truman show was coming out and it was getting all this buzz and stuff. All their marketing leaned more into, Oh, it's a quirky comedy. Like, 
you know, Truman show (laughs) and the film just really wasn't that way. It was, it was a bit of a different vibe, but of course people compare it to Truman show. Yeah. Unavoidably. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I need to rewatch it and try. Maybe now you could watch it. Separated from it. Yeah. Try not to think about Truman show and just watch it for what it is and just see if it's a steaming pile or not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there was a lot of struggling to find a replacement for Dennis Hopper after he left, uh, with even the production threatening to be shut down. A uh, talent agency mentioned Ed Harris. He had a meeting with Peter Weir, and they just agreed immediately and hired him on the spot. It's like, would you be willing to wear a beret? <laughs> you're hired. Yeah, you're hired. <laughs> well, with little time to prepare uh, to help Ed Harris develop the character for Kristoff, uh, Peter Weir presented him with a 10-page biography basically for the character and part of this biography wow. consisted of Christoph doing a film on the homeless for which he won an award <laughs> so there was this really deep weird backstory for Christoph uh, while fi- figuring out how to play the character of, of Christoph Ed Harris suggested that he would have a hunchback <laughs> and like giving <laughs> like him an unhappy <laughs> giving him an unhappy childhood and a desire for you know, Truman to have an idealized life. And that was like his whole idea. And a talking parrot. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he changed his mind uh, after trying on a prosthetic hump. And I think Peter Lear just thought it was fucking stupid. (laughs) He's like, nah. That's something Tim Burton would have definitely done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It would have been through his his perspective only probably as well. (laughs) Like an Edward to the hand thing. (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't you understand? I'm giving you life. Like, no, it's fucked up. Ed Harris, though, actually never met Jim Carrey during the filming. Like, they never were on screen together and never worked together. And it's because a lot of the filming for Ed Harris's part was after filming had wrapped for Jim Carrey's Mm -hmm. bits and all this stuff and see, you know, with Sea Haven and all that. Like, so they were just filming that, like, separately after the fact and it's possible that Jim Carrey was delivering his performance at the end in mind to Dennis Dennis Hopper. Hopper. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't really know the timeline of that, but I mean, if he was hired and that was just like, yeah, okay. I mean, it makes sense for the movie in the movie. Mm -hmm. They never see each other. Yeah. Or it kind of, it makes sense for the actor to never see each other. They always, their whole lives revolve around the other person. Yeah. But they never even meet that person. Yeah. And it works so well, and I we'll get into it in a bit, but I have some stuff about some theories and analysis of this film and all that anyway. I've read many yeah. of it, essays about this, <laughs> about this movie, so yeah. let's do it. Uh, Noah Emmerich as Lewis Coltrane playing Marlon, Truman's mm-hmm. best friend. Uh, Emmerich has said that my character is in a lot of pain. He feels really guilty about deceiving Truman. He's had a serious drug addiction for many years, and he's been in and in and out of rehab. This will make sense in a bit, but okay. these guys start to come up with a lot of stuff about the characters and stuff. Uh, and several deleted scenes for Marlon's character made it clear that uh, Lewis or Mar- Marlon truly does care about Truman. I-, I think there was like a moment of redemption where he like finds Truman during the search, and then he just like lets him go. But they deleted that out. Ah, oh, that would have been really interesting. Yeah, because I mean, you think about it like they were kids together; they grew up together. It doesn't matter if they're like it's like a working relationship. It's sort of like you know, kids 
you know, who grow up on set together on popular TV shows on like Disney or something like that. Yeah, yeah like Boy Meets like, World or something. Yeah, they just become good friends and they're probably friends for the rest of their lives or they're, you know, arch rivals. But, you know. Yeah, that's not strange. That would have changed it because I feel like he's one of the more inauthentic people mm-hmm. around him. Yeah. They seem to have a warm relationship, but like that, that really manipulative scene on the pier where he like breaks down and he's like, am I, you know, that, you know, if this whole thing is fake, that means I'm part of it too, Truman. Yeah. And he's like fake crying and it, and then his dad showed up and you're like, <laughs> yeah. it, it just feels so yeah. shitty. But he yeah. had that great bit where he's looking for Truman in the, in the basement and he's like, he can't find him. He doesn't know what to do. And he looked right at camera. He's like, he's gone. Yeah. And it's like, if you are at home watching that, you'd freak the fuck out. I don't know. It's just it's just funny, like how much detail they go into. I mean, just things like him bringing the beers over, like <laughs> like True. every time he's like Truman, <laughs> like he's like, he's so, like <laughs> yeah, he's like holding his wife behind the door. <laughs> really terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's so funny, man. Next, there's Natasha McKel McKellon McElhone McElhon Natasha McElhone. Apologies, <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> apologies, <laughs> Natasha. Uh, as Sylvia playing Lauren Garland, all these characters have names that are like famous actresses or actors, and their names are like you know Coltrane, yeah. yeah, and uh, or musicians, yeah. And then mm-hmm. all the and the whole town and everything, all the street names are like famous names, like Barrymore or or yeah. So you, if, there's a lot to look at in this film. <laughs> uh, but anyway, there's not much info about her coming on to this film and everything, but I did have a funny story. So she's like an English actress who grew up in Brighton. And uh, my wife's sister, who's also named Natasha, was living in Brighton this past summer and actually lived in the house where her mother still lives. Really? (laughs) Yeah, she lived in this like big, huge fucking house. And yeah, my wife's sister, Natasha, was like staying in in a flat in this big fucking crazy house Mm. and uh there was a package there that said natasha on it and she thought it was for her and then she read it and then she realized it was like the wrong spelling and the surname was different and stuff and that's when she figured out that she like she doesn't live there but her mother lives there so it's weird (laughs) anyway i'm not gonna tell you where that is because i don't remember and also i don't want you to bother some fucking lady in brighton but (laughs) (laughs) not you phil not you phil well yeah definitely you phil Definitely, um, <laughs> I don't have much else going on. I would yeah. definitely bother this woman. <laughs> hey, your daughter was in Truman Show. It's a good movie. Thank you. <laughs> Can I have your house? <laughs> There's Holland Taylor as Alanis Montclair playing Angela Burbank, Truman's mother. And then Brian Delant as Walter Moore playing Kirk Burbank, Truman's father. Now, like, I don't know, man. This whole thing with family <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird like everyone but truman is fucking weirdness it's except for uh sylvia which yeah. she just obviously wanted a role in the phoebe show and then just gets uh you know sidetracked by you know lust love whatever well, she falls in love and then feels yeah. bad and want to tell him and then they yeah. fire her and yeah. then kick her never out. forget but on the uh, flip side her the father gets written out of the show yeah they give him the traumatic memory. Yeah, and he sneaks back on set. Yeah. And you're just like, why? And then it turns out 
because he just wanted to be back on the show and he was upset. Isn't yeah, it? just like in and out of work actor and out in bigot role. He was, I'm like, oh, you were Truman suck. there. <laughs> yeah. No, I love the yeah. bit where they flash back to him and the kid and they're like, Truman, don't go up there. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, he's about to climb over the sand bank and there's yeah. just a crew yeah. like standing on the other side and giving him the fear of water. Yeah. Like that was a big part of it. And like, I love the guy jumping out of the Christmas present. Yeah. I made it on the show. <laughs> yeah. You're on TV, Truman. It's not real. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's so fucking good. Like it's, people trying to infiltrate the show. I'm surprised they lasted to almost 30 years old. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. Cause it's like so fucked up. This whole thing was like 29 and a half years, roughly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like he was almost 30, and there's a whole thing around it, like you know, 30th anniversary of Truman Show, and like in the in the real world. I mean, it's wild. Like it's wild how long this went on. And I completely forgot that like it starts so fresh from the get go of the film. I thought like the last time I saw it, like, you know, I would have thought like, oh, yeah, when you uh, turn on the film, there's just, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes before anything happens. But it's like fucking at the beginning when the light falls. (laughs) It's like, yep, something's going on here. Something's weird. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's a long time. Like that's a really long running show. That's yeah. still not as long as The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. That's like 32, 33 years. You're like, fuck, that should need to end. If Truman Show didn't even last that long. It's longer it's than longer than the Confederacy, though. If you want oh, to hop on a meme, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The parents, they're great in this film. Uh, the mother is great as well. Like, But it's just questionable Like, what these people are up to. Now, one of the smartest men in the film, it seems, who's not Truman... Uh, is Paul Giamatti? Is I was about to say, yeah, Paul Giamatti. <laughs> and I'll get to him in a bit why, but he plays a c- control room director. Uh, but yeah, fun. You see him pop up in uh, the film the following year with Jim Carrey, Man on the Moon. So, was, oh my god, I forgot yeah, about that. Really amazing. Those two together, those two together again. Uh, you know, and and actually on screen together. Mm. But yeah, he's pretty funny. Very bit role, but he's a good guy in this movie. Though. Yeah, yeah. He refused to like do the thing at the end. <laughs> yeah. Refused to kill him essentially. Yeah, great. Like I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Yeah, there's so good. Una Damon or Damon who plays Chloe, who's Kristoff's assistant. I just see her in tons of stuff back yeah. in the '90s. She gets so much. Shit <laughs> yeah, in this movie, I mean. Yeah, it's horrible. Kristoff sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Peter Krauss is Lawrence Truman's Truman's boss, and then there's Harry Shearer. Is Mike Mickelson, who plays the TV talk show host. Talking of Simpsons. Also in Ed TV, I believe, which is weird. But yeah, Harry Shearer, great. Funny to see him in this. Pretty hilarious. And then we got Philip Baker Hall. You were talking about Zodiac a minute ago. Oh, yeah. I don't know what he was doing in this film. He just appears as a network executive. <laughs> Philip Baker Hall just, just appeared in some of the greatest shit. movies of all time. <laughs> they would be together again as well in um, Bruce Almighty. Mm-hmm. He's in Boston, Bruce Almighty. Yeah. There's only like five actors in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> you also have like a couple of small roles here. There's uh, Joel McKinnick Miller, who's Scully from 99. He uh, is one of the parking garage attendants. And then a throwback all the way back to the game episode with Oliver Yule Smith 
that myself and Ariane did. And this is also a throwback reference to stuff that I used to try to do all the time. It's Yuji Akumoto, who is Johnny Tsunami's dad. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny, well, Johnny Kapahala's dad. He's Johnny Tsunami's son. Uh, But anyway, he played the man that was like, you know, they they just had so many families that would appear and there was the Japanese family. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he was the man or maybe his son or something. I'm not really sure. Cause there was an older lady and maybe a, a woman. Yeah. Cause they're this. doing the catchphrase. Yeah. When I saw him, I was like, hell yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. Hell yeah. Karate kid too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then you got the twins who were actually police lieutenants, Ron and Don Taylor. And they're like from seaside Florida. They're cops. And uh, I think they were on set just like they're a security. Really? And, because uh, one of them is a cop in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. So now. Peter Weir noticed noticed them and, and noticed they had a great relationship with the crew and everything. So he just hired them to be actors. And then they just became actors. <laughs> That's funny. One of the fans they keep cutting to is the guy in the bathtub. Oh yeah, uh, with that's the my absolute favorite man. That's my favorite, that and I don't know so the funny. I don't know the guy's name, but he was Napoleon in Bill and Ted's Excellent. Oh adventure. yeah, I and forgot I about love, that. I love, I love him in that movie. He's so fucking funny. Yeah. Um, he's so great yeah, in the bathtub. I, I fucking love him. And then there's also <laughs> the the two women at the Truman's Bar. One of them, yeah, she's like from Edward Scissorhands, is like the religious lady playing the the organ. Mm, mm-hmm. That hates Edward. <laughs> She's a devil, man. <laughs> yeah. So while they were waiting for Jim Carrey to come back from his filming commitments, like I said, Nickel was just tinkering with the script. Peter Weir created that ten-page backstory for Kristoff, but he was also, you know, coming up with a backstory for the show's history, and then he envisioned all these backstories for all the characters. And he encouraged all the actors who weren't doing work and stuff or whatever to do the same as well. So that's where I was talking about, like where uh, Marlon, you know, was coming up with this whole backstory about his character. What if I'm a junkie? (laughs) (laughs) So they were doing all this crazy stuff. So according to the backstory of Kristoff, though, uh, Kristoff was 29 years old when he convinced Omnicam Corporation. Which sounds a lot like Omni Consumer Products, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's probably the same company to give him the go ahead to produce this show called Bringing Up Baby, uh, which was starring <laughs> an infant whose first year in the world would be fully documented, which would become the Truman Show. They just kept going. Yeah. So I love how deep they got, even though that was nowhere in the film at all. Now, that would have been um, interesting if they got an actual filmmaker to play that part if they got like a Werner Herzog or like a Brian De Palma <laughs> to play yeah. Kristoff just well, then it would have been like another layer of yeah. like the puppet master sort of thing I'll come back to that in just a second but uh <laughs> bombs, dropping bombs over here see? Weir found that he had so much good material though when he asked the actors to come up with stuff and when they were answering questions that he would give them about their characters and their own screen personas that he put together this documentary, actually. It was like a unit just went around and captured everything while they were making the film. And uh, actors were just in their parts and they just filmed everything and they made this weird little half-hour documentary about the show that ran on Nick at Night, actually. (laughs) 
And it was presented as an episode of True Talk. It was hosted by Harry Shearer's Mike Mickelson character. It was really fucking meta, but they actually did this and it exists. And I found it on YouTube and I will try to remember to post that when we post that. That's amazing. It's so Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that. It's like, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but it's just so like, just in everything's in character it's as if truman show really exists it in the world <laughs> it's really funny it's like one of those cool tv spots you see when like a movie's coming out yeah and it's like yeah and it's just like interview could they kind of do that at the beginning of the movie so it's yeah. like part of a bigger thing absolutely that sounds, so that really cool. all those little bits and stuff that didn't make it into the film a lot of that just kind of like went into this weird little documentary uh the overall look was influenced by television images, particularly commercials, and many shots have characters like leaning into the lens with their eyeballs wide open <laughs> and like interior scenes are heavily lit. And this was because like Peter Rear re- just really wanted to remind viewers that in this world, everything is for sale. So that's why they decided to do all the like in-house uh, on-screen like product placement. I mean, there's such a great idea. so much going on as well. You would totally do that to fund yeah. the show. Absolutely. Perfect plan. Like just little details. I'll get into more details in a bit, but like the details of like, I don't know, for instance, when they're like playing golf, you know, just driving balls and it's just Truman and Marlon talking to each other and their cars are parked and you could just see like that they both have like Ford cars. And it's obvious that like Ford is probably a sponsor of this. <laughs> That's probably fine. the only just, car he could buy. Yeah. yeah. And it's also just a sponsor for the film. So it's layers, like I said. Layers, Meta. Meta. Onion. Cake. (laughs) I wish I I I fucking had cake. Cake. (laughs) Instead Mm. of this damn chocolate. (laughs) Chocolate drink. Drink up. (laughs) Fucking watered down chocolate drink. (laughs) So yeah, those involved with special effects and visual effects on the film actually found the film to be kind of difficult to work, work on. Like, it's not like they did a lot of crazy stuff, but it was just because in 1997, it was the year many visual effects companies were trying to convert, like, to computer computer Mm. generated imagery. So, CGI was used to create the upper halves of some of the larger buildings in the film's downtown set. And uh, Craig Barron, one of the effects supervisors, said that these digital models did not have to look as detailed and weathered as they normally would in a normal film, but that was because they were like, this artificial town and everything so it kind of you know worked to their favor that they didn't really have to make everything look so detailed and this is where it gets it starts getting meta and i said i'd come back to peter weir the old director thing so he planned for projectionists to stop the film at one point during all screenings and then cut to video shot by cameras installed in every movie theater so a live camera in the theater (laughs) and then cut back to the film Oh, that's an amazing idea. How fucking sick would that have been? Like, we should do that. We could do that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, the audience is in on it. Everyone's watching this shit. Yeah, like, you're all part of the experiment. So fucking wild. Like, you're watching people watch Truman, (laughs) and we're watching you watch Truman, and as you keep going and going and going. It's like the end of Wolf of Wall Street, where, like, it panned to the crowd looking up, and it's like, you sat in the cinema looking at yourself <laughs> and it's great. You're just like, Oh my God, it's like so meta. That's yeah. a great idea. They, he would never be allowed. That's some Andy Kaufman shit. Like yeah, he'd yeah. never be allowed to do that. Like 
I I feel like uh, with how crazy you can get if you go down like a wormhole in the internet that like if they tried to do that today like because you know there's people who just think like oh yeah every tv has a camera in it like (laughs) yeah and they're watching everything you're doing like you know big brother's always watching and Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) like if you're watching it on netflix or whatever like a camera just activates (laughs) on your tv it just shows you sitting there (laughs) fuck <laughs> that's really um, funny I, lo- I love when people talk like that when they're like oh man the government had the bugged right like they've cameras and everything and it's like no you idiot you did it yourself you bought a phone and it has a fucking microphone and a camera in it and it but they conditioned the us man <laughs> god is dead man <laughs> we'll get into that <laughs> great but like to make things more meta though like i like you were saying about a director playing that role of christoph actually we're just like toyed with the idea especially when they were like in between dennis hopper and and uh ed harris they were just like oh yeah like uh, maybe i'll do it maybe i'll play that role so yeah interesting I, I, idea been very interesting i would have loved to feel the palma oh it's been so good or Roger Corman. Yeah. And he's just like more Venetian blind. <laughs> so the music in the film has a really cool score. I really yeah, like the music. Really Truman's main theme is so good. Like, it's really cool. I, I always forget about it. I feel like it's sort of underrated, but I'm probably playing it right now in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I love this car. Yeah. If it was uh, primarily done by Buckhard Dalitz. Yeah. <laughs> Buckard Dolitz. Uh Dolitz. Uh but yeah, it was also some music in there done by Philip Glass. And a couple of pieces were like clap classical music that they just incorporated in. I love um, the music that played towards the end when he gets to the wall. It's yeah. very Philip Glass, very classical and it's really yeah. nice. You know, I always like when I watch it, it's always stuck in my head for weeks afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh then there's also that cool rockabilly version of Mark Bullen's or T-Rex, whichever you want to call mm. him, 20th Century Boy. Which yeah. is performed by that band, The Big Six. It's like, I had to look them up and I found a really cool version of them doing it live. It's, <laughs> I just really like it. Like, it's a mm. sick song. I've always really liked that song. It's but a good like, song. yeah, just uh, funny hearing it in a weird rockabilly version. <laughs> it works. Fuzzed Actually, out like guitar, yeah. like. Bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Glass, though, actually played himself in the film. You know the scene where you're talking about like during the composition like, where he like goes like bring up the strings. Kristoff goes out, yeah, bring up the strings, and there's a the guy there playing piano and stuff. Dun, That's dun, Philip Glass. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's yeah, really cool. Really That's cool. perfect. That's meta, bro. It's meta. <laughs> This episode is meta. <laughs> Before we close out the main bit of Truman Show and get into some weird bonker shit, uh, let's get into some controversy. Ooh. Everyone loves some controversy, right? Beef. Where's the beef? I don't know. This is this is not so much beef as it's sort of almost like in the same line as uh, you remember Philadelphia, where there was some controversy over screenplays and whether or not yeah. they're legit and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, critics have compared Truman Show to 
Paul Bartel's 1968 short film, The Secret Cinema, which starred Amy Vane as a secretary who doesn't know that her life is being filmed and shown to her duplicitous friends and family in private screenings. And The Secret Cinema was played like before showings of Woody Allen's Take the Money and Run in 1969, and then it was remade into 1986 episode of Amazing Stories. Nichols said he's never heard of the film or the episode in question, and when he wrote Truman Show, he's just like, that was sort of just something I had going on in my head. So Multiple people can have the same idea. Yeah. Like, it can happen. True. But, but then there's also... The Twilight, there's a couple of Twilight Zone episodes called A World of Difference and Special Service, which also a lot of people compare it to. I'm not surprised. It feels very Twilight Zone. Yeah, very much. Like, I've seen a lot of people now that it's been flown around on, like, Twitter that people are starting to say, oh, it's like Black Mirror. <laughs> it's like off. Before Black Mirror. Well, I like Black Mirror, but before Black Mirror, there was there was Twilight Zone. Ooh, technology. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, basic story of a man unknowingly being forced to live in an alternate reality is identical to the plot of the 1959 sci-fi novel Time Out of Joint by Philip K. Dick, who would also write things like Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, with a lot of people saying that that should be credited, as well as Thomas More's Utopia. So a lot of people are thinking that, like, you know, this idea, Andrew Nichols' idea for Truman Show, like it, it got a lot of ideas here and there and it didn't credit it. And you mm-hmm. know, Andrew Nichols always sort of playing dumb to it. But that's not where the controversy is. <laughs> the controversy is that there was a New York playwright named Mark Dunn. And I had to do some digging about this. And I, it's not widely, I mean, it was, it's weird. It was, it was widely reported around the time but it was hard to find where the conclusion was. And I did mm-hmm. find an interview with this guy and he, did, he like mentioned it. So he sued producer Scott Rudin and Paramount Pictures and Andrew Nichol for $200 million <sighs> as he claimed that they stole his idea from his 1992 play Frank's Life. Uh, Dunn said that he submitted a copy of his play to Paramount office to a Paramount office in New York in June or July of 1992, and Paramount rejected it in August. And he's also said that he like invited Scott Rudin to his play and that Andrew Nichol probably saw his play in New York and stuff. So the timeline is that Andrew Nichol, you know, wrote the original spec script back in 1991, but it mm-hmm. wasn't bought until 1993. So there's this like weird little thing in between with where this story might have some clout. I don't know, but maybe, yeah, it's weird. Did he get any money? Well, this is a great quote first. Anne Plachette, who is Andrew Nichols' agent, said, every time a big movie comes out, a moron tries to sue. <laughs> I love that quote. I mean, she's right, but... Yeah. And that was a tribute to this, I believe, a Guardian article where they were just basically like, how can you make money by ripping off Hollywood? <laughs> And it was almost like a how-to guide to like make a lot of money for uh, ripping off Hollywood system. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that moron, if he's a moron, Mark Dunn, I don't know. He he's might not be moron. a Mark Dunn. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he won the lawsuit uh, because they settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money. 
And according to Dunn, he wasn't allowed to disclose the amount of money, but it was enough to quit his day job as a librarian. So <laughs> I don't know. So he still won. Yeah, technically, because yeah. they settled out. So maybe they're just like, I don't care. We've, we're making a lot of money off of this, so just fuck off. Or maybe they were just kind of like, all right, we don't want this story to go any further. Exactly. And he'll yeah. forever be that guy at a party when if Truman Show ever comes up, he'll be like, I wrote that movie. I wrote it. <laughs> they stole my idea. They, they stole, stole my idea. Hollywood stole my life. <laughs> yeah. Everybody had that. Everybody yeah. had a thing they think invented. They think they invented or like a family member think they invented like yeah. uh, like that French joke where Ross thinks he it came up with got milk. Yeah. 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 And he's like, I shouldn't have written it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Oh, man. Yeah, definitely. I, oh, man, I, I don't know when I was reading about this guy, you know, Mark Dunn, I just really just felt like the only thing I could picture was uh, Christopher Guest's character from waiting for Guffman. <laughs> I don't remember his character's name. Yeah. But like, I know that's just mean. in my head. I just imagine that's like what he is, what he's like. Yeah. Let's get into some deep dive of details about this film. Uh, Cause there's a lot to it. A lot of these are uh, thanks to a Twitter user named Mark Moran. Like I said, this start going around a little bit on Twitter and stuff, um, you know, popping up on Netflix and everyone's starting to find the film for the first time, I guess. So when Truman visits his mom, that she's looking through the book and everything. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, the image of Truman sort of dressed up like a little cowboy or a clown or something like that. And it, he's like behind bars and stuff. And it just says my little clown. And it's just like, you know, Truman's a prisoner on a TV set. And he's also like a clown there to entertain the world. And there's like one scene where you can see Truman has to take vitamin D supplements in the morning. And it's because there's, sun. there's, there's no, no sunlight. natural sunlight. So <laughs> that's funny. He would have a deficiency. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, when Truman is sitting on the beach, you can, you notice that the moon is like illuminated by the lightning, just like also shows that the moon is a lot closer to Truman than it should be in real life. <laughs> Cause it's just a big fucking light. Yeah. I mean, it also reminds me of like the scene when it starts to rain. like, <laughs> And it follows him. <laughs> it just follows him. It's like a spotlight, but they haven't turned on the whole thing yet. He's like, like what the fuck? <laughs> uh, when Truman goes to the travel agent, she's oh, late to picture? speak to him. Yeah, well, there's all the pictures and stuff. There's all like, there's crazy amount of stuff like the pictures, the brochures and everything is like water-based or like, you know, airplanes and all that. And that's it all could to happen play. to you. Yeah. Yeah. It could play. It all plays in on like Truman's fear of the ocean and, and they make him afraid of flying and stuff mm. because they don't want him to go anywhere. The worst travel agency ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that's really funny is the woman's like coming in and she's late when she comes in and it's probably because she's never had to come to work before. And she right. has like a makeup bib on. You know, it like still because they were probably oh, yeah, going to make take that up. <laughs> She'd probably just stay makeup all day yeah. just in case someone walk, Truman walked in. <laughs> what a great job. What, what a shit existence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So they have the newspaper. And the newspaper says volume 29 XX1X, which matches Truman being 29 years old. And the number is 10,765, which is around 29 and a half years, which was like Truman's year, like in the days that the show's been going on. Uh, God, like he's a baby, like really early on as well. Do you think they were still producing these like newspapers just for like his parents for something to do? 
It, what a weird life. I was just like somebody. thinking about that when I was watching. I was like, why did they make Truman go into like insurance? I mean, obviously, I guess for him to think about mortality a lot and I don't it's know. Like statistically like, the most boring existence yeah. you could think of. <laughs> yeah, but all him- the like little things you have to do. Yeah. To create this believable world, but like for you, they didn't really have to do it. They probably didn't have to build most of it until he was like a teenager. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, new papers are just there, just for like us watching. And his friend Marlon is like a vending machine stalker, <laughs> and like that's just really boring. But I did notice this when uh, he's talking to his friend Marlon at at the uh, convenience store, or whatever, and his friend is stalking. The machine and there's obviously like a camera in the machine watching that whole conversation take place and uh marlon grabs like a chocolate bar <laughs> when that he's already placed in the machine back out of the machine when truman's not looking just to place it again just <laughs> just to have something extra to do <laughs> while he's like wasting time talking to truman because his whole job is bullshit anyway <laughs> his whole life is just bullshit <laughs> i've never noticed that and again more product placement as well you know, yeah, <laughs> so funny. Uh, when Truman tries to leave Sea Haven Island with Merrill, there's a sign on the bridge that said, "Are you sure that's a good idea?" Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. They just go round and round. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Truman starts getting suspicious, this is where I was talking about Simeon uh, Paul Giamatti's character is one of the smartest people. Uh, he's you can see him at his desk, and I noticed this as well, looking at job listings in the LA Times classified section. <laughs> and he knows this shit's almost over. <laughs> like the show Nova. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, Truman's always listening to classical radio in the morning, mm-hmm. and the reason this for this would be most likely because a lot of classical music's in public domain, so it would be very easy for the TV. <laughs> to get rights like the TV show to use it. (laughs) That's really good. Truman's catchphrase is good morning. And if a case, I don't see you good afternoon, good evening and good night. So this is Truman unintentionally addressing all Truman show viewers in different time zones around the globe. Cause it's on 24 seven. Did they give him that catchphrase? How did they do that? I don't know. Maybe they worked it into him somehow. How though? Maybe like, how do you make someone say something a lot? Does maybe his mom, like his, his, mom his parents? Him? Maybe his parents did it. You know, Probably it's like one of those things you maybe say they put it in a book. Your parents did. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like a kid's book or a show. I bet it was like a TV show on the radio or something. And he still does it. Like, mind you, these are just details that this one viewer is coming up with. So this is sort of almost on theory side as well. Anyway. No, that's how I always yeah. saw that catchphrase yeah. anyway. But like, I'm wondering how yeah. would they do how it? They to do? Him? <laughs> yeah. I how did they? I mean, we'll get into this a little bit and mm-hmm. sort of the theory side of things. But that's like, so much. Yeah. How how did they like when I, going back to him being a uh, insurance guy? Did was that designed for him, or were they just like like how how did they lean in towards that i mean he goes to school and i guess he's taught a certain way and he's probably encouraged yeah to follow it like he's kind of a pushover for most of it until yeah. the end yeah um <laughs> yeah no that's not hard how do you dictate a, like not only like because it, it's not fair to just be like oh we're only filming it he had complete free will not true you won't let him do anything that 
pushing the boundary of the show and he's not really living a life. He's a rat in a cage. Yeah. But like, yeah, it, every time I watch it, it's like, I think about a new thing, like, like what's that woman doing at the travel agency? But like, what about his like real parents? Do you think they still watch the show? Are they, is he, he's an orphan? They, was he given up? Or yeah. Like, they, they said that there was like five or six babies that were going to be born. That and he was born first. Go, yeah. And he was, he was born first. So he, yeah went into the experiment so it was okay. on Walton births which i don't know it's so weird i mean there's so much that could be just completely morally fucked with that whole scenario <laughs> i mean it is completely morally fucked yeah. it like it's really hard to watch every time yeah and yet we still do it mm-hmm. we still yeah. do it and it's not people do it to themselves and it's insane like i said there's cameras everywhere next time you watch this film even if you watched it recently, you probably see 10 billion more characters, uh, sorry, cameras that you never noticed. They're yeah. everywhere. Uh, and they look like basically your classic CCTV camera that you see around London and stuff. So it's kind of funny. I wonder if people in our generation are more inclined to like notice it. Like if someone like Truman just wouldn't even have any, you know, comprehension of what these cameras are really, or even probably care, right. you know? One think about it, yeah, like we don't think about it until you think about it too much and it drives you crazy. <laughs> and we'll get on to yeah. that. <laughs> so there's the boat scene, like where Truman's dad dies and mm-hmm. falls into the water. Dies. Um he's again a horrible thing to do to a child. If you look really close though, like throughout most of the film, Truman's wearing a ring and it's got mm-hmm. like a big bulb on it. And it like, you know, it's quite a quite a good sized ring. And that's possibly a camera ring as well. <laughs> So they always the camera on him. Yeah. And uh, his dad, if you look closely, can be seen wearing the ring and Truman takes it from him as his dad's like in the water. That makes and then he ends up having the ring and then apparently he gives it back to his dad, which is how maybe the producer struggled to find Truman at the end. He knew. He fucking yeah. knew. I didn't know that. That's yeah. trippy shit. Yeah. Watch, follow the ring on his finger sometime. Because it looks, when I was watching it, I was like, it looks like a camera. It looks like a camera. Like, I wonder if that is a camera, but I don't, they never really draw attention to it too much. It's very subtle. That's insane. I mean, like things like the beer that Marlon drinks is like beer that you see at Truman's bar that they serve at that bar, like in the real world. So obviously there's all this product placement. Um, And then Sylvia's apartment. This is something else I found. This isn't, um, a part of that Twitter thread. This is separately, but Sylvia's apartment contains all this stuff in the background. I noticed it, but I never like looked at what it said. And uh, it can- contains photos of cast members labeled with post-it notes and stuff. And one of the pictures is of Marlon, and it says "unable to get near Marlon Prime." Other photos are labeled "jogger," "no way," and uh, "we'll think about it." Um, mm. And then free Truman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then there's a printed uh, banner above those photos containing word agents. I don't know. It's really weird. It's a Pepe Sylvia. Pepe Sylvia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. (laughs) She's totally got like her whole crazy theory work. She's got like the red string tying it. Drinking coffee. It's like, the metal doesn't stop. (laughs) Yeah. They're just a picture at the top with a question mark. <laughs> I'm burning the mail so I can get more time for more mail to come. <laughs> Dude, 
There is Pabby Sylvia. All these people exist. They're looking for their mouth. Do you know the what well, like but the joke in that scene is like, you know, Charlie is dyslexic and he's just yeah. misreading uh Pennsylvania. <laughs> he's illiterate. On every letter. He's illiterate. <laughs> So yeah, there's a lot to Truman Show, just a little bits and pieces in there. And there's probably more, like definitely more. Like I I did read that there's like one three nine on on the uh cell at the end you can see, which is supposed to be a reference to Psalm one three nine in the Bible, and that gets into the whole biblical thing. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know, it's fucking That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> there's a lot more to that. Uh the Truman Show was released on in June of 1998, though it was originally set to be released in 1997, but it may have been delayed due to Titanic. They didn't want to compete with it. I read that. I don't really know. A couple of different sources gave different reasons, but anyway, uh, the film grossed 264.1 million at the box office on that $60 million budget. So did really, really fucking well. Good. No wonder that guy wanted a piece of it. Mark. (laughs) Wonder yeah. how much he got. How much do you think he got? At least half of that. You think he yeah. got two hundred million? Maybe two hundred. <laughs> I don't know. A hundred million? No. It's, no. no it's it's no like way. it's not Titanic money. It's not like probably like a million. He couldn't have got like all the movie that all the money that movie had yeah, made. You know, definitely not. Um. Yeah. A little bit. Well, anyway, uh, the film was met with rave reviews, particularly for Jim Carrey's performance. And when Gene Siskel and uh, Roger Ebert, Siskel and Ebert reviewed the film on At The Movies, they not only gave the film two thumbs up, but they gave an on-air apology to Jim Carrey for saying that he would never have a career after they panned Ace Ventura Pet Detective. And that's why (laughs) movie critics suck. Yeah, they didn't know shit. (laughs) Uh, The film was nominated for three Academy Awards for Best Director... Best Original Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, which no is actor? really wild that Jim Carrey was not nominated. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Ed Harris, Ed Harris is great in this, but I just don't think about him that much when I no, think about this. If, film if the Carrey show, if the, yeah. I mean the Truman Show, but yeah. if the Carrey movie, he's on camera through most of it. You have to carry it. You have yeah. to do a really difficult sort of arc. And you have to go from likable, relatable, to sad, to like a hero that you're rooting for right at the end. And it's gorgeous. He does it seamlessly. He should yep. totally should have been nominated. Yeah. Ridiculous that he didn't. Well, it did end up winning three Golden Globes, including Best Original Score, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris. He didn't win the Oscar, but he did win a Golden Globe. And Best Actor for Jim Carrey. Nice. At least he got something. And what would become a two-peat, which is pretty fucking wild to think about Jim Carrey because the next year he would go on to win for Man on the Moon. So what a dude. What a time. That was like (laughs) when he was like going for it. And Man on the Moon is great. I always remember him winning that Golden Globe because he walked to the stage and um, The Great Beyond by R.E.M. is playing and he's singing along to it as he's walking (laughs) to the stage. And I always remember that. Did you see Jim and Andy? I did. Fucked up. Yeah, Jim Carrey is wild. Well, I mean, I mean, but I watched that documentary, dude, and I think it's a work. Yeah, I think Maybe, the whole thing yeah. is a work. I mean, the whole, the whole, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it would work perfectly if it is a work, just because of Andy Kaufman. 
exactly. think we should do a Man on the Moon episode sometime. I'd love to. I'd love it. There's a lot of to stuff it. to talk about with Man on the Moon <laughs> that's right in our wheelhouse. <laughs> and there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of wrestling. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we got through the film. Now let's get into the weirdness. We had controversy. We had love for this film. It's a great fucking movie. Now let's get into the influence of the film because it's, it's a lot here and more than I bargained for. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it's, it's an understatement how much this movie has affected people, how it like it's affected yeah. me in my like day-to-day life. Yeah. Well, according to a 2008 New York Times article, psychologists in Britain and the U.S. reported a number of people experiencing what they dubbed Truman syndrome or the That's Truman right. Show delusion. And that's the belief that they are unwittingly the star of their own reality TV show. Uh, reportedly, many afflic- afflicted specifically mentioned the film in therapy. Uh, a particular psychiatrist also shared a, shared that he had met five schizophrenic patients, which schizophrenia is a bit of a weird thing. Sorry. The, um, no, the term, yeah. It's a weird term because, yeah, I don't know. Is, is it real? It's a, it's a, it's a blanket like, diagnosis for a lot yeah, of sort of thing. kind of yeah. fucked up. Uh, mm. But that's because the human mind is fucking wild and people, mm. it's really hard to dissect what's really going on. But anyway, uh, he had five schizophrenic patients and he heard of another dozen who believed their lives were reality television shows. One patient climbed the Statue of Liberty believing that his high school girlfriend <sighs> would be at the top which was the key to him being able to lead the show, which sounds like it's almost Groundhog Day delusion as well. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. My God. That would make a good movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's another crazy story, which like more recently in September of uh, 2013, there was a detailed account of an Ohio student who suffered for years from the Truman Show delusion. And it was documented in New York Magazine. Uh, sorry, New Yorker magazine, untitled Unreality Star, and that was written by Andrew Morantz. But that story just sounded nuts. But anyway, so there's a whole delusion. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, to deal with that for years is unimaginable. But like, I've had moments of that sort of mm-hmm. delusion. I've multiple times. Yeah, I've been out, and something will happen, and I'll just it'll really strike me at the moment of like this. Seems everything seems unreal. Yeah, like, and I'm paying too much attention to it, and it's not even like a. Uh, a moment of like I'm the star of a show, but it's more like I don't know. This whole thing looks like it's put on for certain people. Like yeah. it, it usually happens when I see a group of people in uniform because it seems too weird. Like a group of nuns walking down the street. I'm like bullshit. Like it's complete bullshit. It's like when Truman gets on the bus and it's full of like stereotypes. It's like the soldier coming home and the priest and the old lady. And, um, but I've totally had that, so I can understand yeah. it. And that might be just influence of the movie mm-hmm. and maybe a little too much weed <laughs> <laughs> paranoia no I, it happened to totally I, happen. in my head though like i always relate it back to uh i can't remember if we talked about this on the goodfellas episode but just like the, the helicopter the helicopter and just like at times where i've like just been walking and there's been a helicopter flying and i'm like that thing's fucking following me man <laughs> like you know and then you just like everything's about you and this whole thing's about you but you know i don't know <laughs> yeah i i don't know i i got into some really crazy analysis i found this like you know detailed analysis by this guy named palty boy <laughs> <laughs> actually 
weird name, but actually some pretty interesting elements in here. So I'll break them down to like a couple of different sections. First, there's like the religious side of Truman Show. There's some of these things are going to be taken from this and then some will be taken from some other sources and stuff, but there's a lot going on with the religion side. But basically, Kristoff is essentially a god character. Obviously, he's the creator of the show. But Voice of God name, at the end? Yeah, his name is like, you know, off Christ. Christ, Christ yeah. off, uh, or Antichrist, <laughs> comparing, uh, uh, you know, him basically being a megalomaniacal Hollywood producer to Lucifer. And like, there was Benson Y. Parkinson, the association association of Mormon letters noted all this. So, you know, of course there's some religious people like really deep diving into this. Uh, but the conversation between Truman and Marlin at the bridge can be compared to like, you know, Moses and God in the book of Moses. Could have got it in yeah. a deal telling him what to say. Yeah. Uh, Christoph, you know, basically he's created this world and he's deciding everyone's roles and he's, controlling every aspect of everybody, but particularly Truman's life. And basically there's a lot of like divine intervention there. So some theories even pose that this is ultimately a take on society and the way we perceive religion. If God is real, then ultimately our own reality is fake with everything decided and determined. And every time we step outside, we are at God's hand in God's hands at God's hands Every time it rains, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. No, it gets too deep, man. It's yeah. like again, it's the Matrix thing. If you think about yeah. it too much, you're going. Yeah, because this you... this really goes into like you know simulations and stuff. You know, yeah. Because like we're we're constantly being watched, listened to, and most importantly controlled. And the Truman Show is expanding on the idea that God may be a puppeteer, and we are simply just puppets, and we blindly trust the puppeteer, not even knowing that he's there. And if all that is a thing, then reality is fake. <laughs> Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> Blow it up! Yeah. <laughs> Truman equals true man. <laughs> so basically, like Truman starts like a naive boy, and uh-huh. he becomes aware, and then he becomes a true a man, boy, and he's to a, a true, true man. man. <laughs> uh, but the film, you know, really just blends the lines of actual reality versus the fake lie that we all leave, you know, there's mm. all the people at home around the world. They're just watching as an escape from their lives, um, mm. which may be a fake existence as well. I yeah. don't know. Aware that they are controlled by the media and they too are controlled by a higher power. Exactly. People, people will hear like what you're saying and be like, Oh, it's ridiculous. It's like conspiracy. Thing. But it's not a literal yeah. simulation. It's the idea that we are controlled by the yeah. forces around us and just through subconscious means like yeah uh-huh. media and the government and everything um that's totally believable you just yeah. have to be just have to wake up a little bit yeah and the one true person in all this is truman true man yeah. he's the true man though he's being manipulated he's always himself through all this i love that line at the end where he's like was anything real and he's like you were real yeah, <laughs> I love that line. It's so horrible. It's horrible, but he's right. Uh, but even the lamp itself, this is a detail I left out specifically just for this bit of all the weird details. But like the lamp that falls on it, it is named Sirius, representing the brightest star or the morning star 
or the dog star again, very Luciferian. Uh, and the one travelers use for guidance and it symbolizes the beginning of Truman's adventures within his own world. And then the film ends with him puncturing the wall of his world. And it's basically just quite literally punching through his own personal fourth wall. <laughs> oh, I love the Truman show. Yeah. Like it just, it's the film that keeps on giving. There's so much to it. Truman's world is really the only real thing on to everyone on the entire planet, but Truman yeah. himself, the only real person in it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many layers to go through from like a personal journey for him to the life of everyone around. That's why it's a great yeah. touch to show these groups of people watching yeah. life. And that's why I love the ending and much of all that meant in the moment, as soon as it's over, the guy's like, yeah. what else is on? What's, Switch what the channel. Is on? Yeah. The perfect way to end it. <laughs> completely so... undermines the whole seriousness of it, yeah. which is exactly what would happen. It's exactly what happened today in the news. We have a really serious topic, and then you cut to, again, so-and-so is dating this person, and yeah. as if that matters Yeah, at who all. cares? <laughs> yeah. And also, you can just shut it off anytime you want. You just yeah. turn it off and it doesn't exist. But these yeah. things still happen. These people are still affected. Truman walks into darkness as well. He like leaves this fake world. I love that. It's just black. And they don't show where it goes from there. I'm so happy they don't show it. In the original script, it was supposed to be like him going and through like that world, the real world and stuff. And I'm glad they didn't do that. Because it's neither, sort of yeah. like... It's better. You know, Truman's the only real person in this whole thing that turns out to be fake. So ultimately, like, reality doesn't exist and everything is fake. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, I love that ending. I and think then, it's such a perfect ending. It leads a lot into the toxicity of the entertainment industry as well. Of our city. Our city. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, re- remarkably prescient, like, vision of runway celebrity culture. So, I mean, this is before the whole, you know, reality show boom, but it foreshadowed things like Big Brother and Survivor and the Joe Schmo show. Do you remember <laughs> yeah. that show? Yeah. I mean, that yeah, was literally a show where a guy goes on a reality show, but he doesn't realize that all the other people on the show aren't a part of the reality show. They're in on it. They're just actors. And it's just like, ah, that's Truman show, but just even more weirdly layered. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's just fucking stupid. But uh, <laughs> but you know the all the people who are watching they're obviously addicted to watching this. Yeah, they got the pillows. Yeah, it's the biggest thing going on. Everyone's stopping everything that they're doing and just talking about it constantly like they do in real life about all these stupid shows. Love Island. It don't shit, matter. Yeah. yeah. But as soon as it's over, like you said the two parking attendants are just like, "Oh, what else is on?" Like it just it's totally throwaway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't leave a dent in society. Obviously, people will think of it as being all oh, this lovely thing that helped me pass time, but the great scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. And then that leads us into like the ethical side of it because like you said, there's a lot of people who, who in courses and stuff study the ethics of this and or just this film in general because there's so much yeah. going on. But like the characters, like creator Kristoff, like him doing this whole thing is just so fucked up. And then... <laughs> we talked about Marlon, the best friend of Truman, who's just like, we don't know what his intentions are. And also like, 
you know, he's there that whole time. You would think he would be friends with Truman, but at the same time, if he did real friend, yeah, he's obviously not because he's just going you know, on with that. It's getting a payday, you know. And, an actor. What if that kid grew up and didn't want to be an actor? <laughs> Seriously, I guess they would write him out. I don't know. Be- because at that, he on the show as a child, mm-hmm. and probably as a child, he's not really distinguishing the difference between reality and TV. He's playing with the other kid. He's playing with Truman. At some point, he has to learn what he's a part of and that what he's a part of in the TV show and then keep going with that. Yeah. And I feel like there's like, you know, you have to basically find out that Santa isn't real, but he's playing Santa. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. It's again, at the deep, that would be such a difficult like moment for him or not. And that's yeah. equally disturbing. Even deeper, though, is like basically Truman's wife, Meryl, is like, kind of just prostituted like you're right yeah. you know like she's she has to sleep with this guy she's having to have sex with this man like for her job and it's funny because ariana and i got into a discussion of this like when we were talking about too fast too furious because it's like eva mendez's <laughs> character is like so deep in undercover that she's sleeping with the guy that she's like watching basically yeah. and it's just like it's funny because like we were talking about that with women and stuff, obviously because they're women, they get, it gets frowned upon a little bit more because, Oh, it's like women. Like, but no one will give a shit if, a, you know, that was a guy doing that and that stuff. Happens, like, it would be yeah. expected or whatever, you know, Could no that happens in the first fast and furious Paul Walker hooked yeah. up with that guy. So like, <laughs> yeah. And you don't think twice about it. Oh, yeah. point break. Same thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, this is so much crazier though. Cause it's like, she's, just basically doing like doing this whole thing like even to a point of like going to have a baby with yeah she's not doing it to like save lives she's so doing lives she's doing it for a paycheck so deep it's so weird i don't know yeah uh, up. and then further into media control because you have like the whole manipulation of truman it's basically parallel to like people being controlled by the media with the media playing off of our fears and amping up fears and like Kristoff does with Truman and his fears of water and flying just to manipulate him to stay put on the island. Yeah, I mean, we stay on the news every day. Yeah, and all the product placement with the show being 24-7 and no ad breaks. Like, so it's just products everywhere. I mean, that's just real life. Like, everything's an ad. You know, it's like that yeah. South Park episode ad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ad. Does she know she did <laughs> And then, uh, it's just, you know, the way... Kristoff manipulates moments like with music and camera shots and basically the memories and the flashbacks and painting moments any way he wishes basically showing there's no truth to the entertainment and nothing's genuine you know like I don't know it's like you see that all the time and that's sort of like the fake news culture that we live in right now. It's like what is real and that's why you're always questioning everything. Yeah. This is a fucking simulation. This podcast doesn't exist. <laughs> doesn't exist. <laughs> okay, but if the Truman Show were real, would you watch it? Oh, man, I don't know. I would feel very... I don't watch much reality TV at all. No, me neither, but like, I feel like... I would to- totally watch the show. I would have watched it maybe like back in the nineties, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the mid two thousand. When he was like, when he was like a teenager. Yeah, when there was so much trash on that I used to watch, but and I don't watch it anymore. 
and then you're 29, you're like, holy shit, that show's still going. They should probably let that guy go. <laughs> Are we going to watch him die eventually? That's so fucked up. I don't know. I feel really weird about it if that was happening in real life. But then again, I mean. But it is happening. It is happening. Yeah. It is happening. It's not as fucked up as Truman Show. I mean, I don't think. No, definitely not. <laughs> there's not as, like, there's nothing as deep as, like, someone just genuinely unaware that they're being filmed at all times. Because, like, Christoph even talks about, oh, like, we see we see all of his moments, you know, it's 24-7. We're watching everything. And it's like, God, what were you watching? Like, I know they were saying, <laughs> oh, it cut, like, you know, the two parking attendant guys are like, oh, it always cuts away. It doesn't ever show anything. Like, when it's yeah, talking about yeah. the sex scenes. But it's like, I don't think people would want to watch, like, what a young boy who's discovering himself in becoming a man, what he does. Because it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, but that is far more Fuck interesting. Shit. A real person just interacting with people. Yeah, taking shit. That is far more interesting than like, you know, like a reality show now that people actively go on and it's so performative and it's yeah. so over the top. It's so unreal. It's just yeah. another show. Yeah. But they are real people that you see are later deeply affected by their stroke, like brush with threat with fame. Yeah. Um, but people want, everyone wants to be Truman and nobody does. Again, ethically we got there bef- a lot quicker than we should have. Yeah. We've got to a lot of places quicker than we should have. Like humanity in general, hadn't figured out how to like take care of each other. And, but we have like reality TV and these things and things that, shouldn't really work yet because we don't have basic respect for ourselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, the I don't know. I just think like reality TV, like you said, like obviously watching it is like, there's so much stuff that is, it just feels so fake and it's not real. And I mean, obviously like, yeah, it's not real. They, they've, you know, influence everything. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't know. They want to be on TV. Yeah, like I don't. That's I don't it. know what show is 100 percent genuine when it comes to reality TV. It's all like fake anyway. But they're just well, this, planning this, it like it is real. I mean, this is the thing. Like, um, when we studied documentaries in a uni, it was this idea. There was like two schools of thought, and there's people who are like do fly on the wall stuff, and they try and be as objective as possible. Yeah, and just point a camera at stuff and let it happen. Yeah, and then some people that believe as soon as you introduce a camera into the situation, no longer reality, yeah. no longer truthful, no longer honest. So at that point, you might as well keep going, and you might as well let it be staged and have actors and create yeah. scenarios and stuff. And at that point, you're supposed to uh, you're the the idea is that you're like lying to portray a kind of truth. Yeah. Which is, but then that's what TV shows and movies are for. So it's like this yeah, yeah. horrible middle ground of like, it's just a bunch of stupid people that want to be famous. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think Truman did after this? Do you think he had a great life or do you think just dark, darkness? I think that a few years of interviews and the <laughs> come down of like, it being hounded by like crazy fans who love the show. Cause why wouldn't you, Yeah, you know, people have been watching it for years, for years. Certain people are going to be attached, but I like to think he found a quiet place in the middle of nowhere with Sylvia and nobody ever bothered him again. And nobody gave a fuck that he was Truman or he just walked into another TV show. <laughs> Do you think he was given money when he left? 
Oh, I hope he comes out like yeah, a like, Stephen Avery making a murderer thing where he comes out and sued the production. Yeah. And then just, lived off that money. Or they just hooked him up because, come on. Like, I, th- I think I he'd want to be free, completely detached. Yeah. And like, I don't want any more to do with Christoph, wherever the fuck that guy yeah. is. I just want what's left of my life. Do you think he would just go and be an insurance salesman? He might have been a <laughs> shitty insurance salesman, you know? Because like, they just needed him to exist. They don't. It doesn't no, matter right. if he's good. There's that whole thing with his ball. Yeah, you're like, right. oh, you're not hitting your numbers or blah blah blah. But like, like it doesn't shit. matter. Like, <laughs> no. no, he becomes like a sailor or something. <laughs> yeah, something ironic. Oh man. Well, I mean, like, I I just w- would worry that like it'd be dark after like obviously like you know Truman himself. Jim Carrey is just so likable and he just plays it so nice and everything. And But in reality, I don't know, man. It's He's going to face a really unforgiving, uncaring yeah. world. And it'll be softened because he's a celebrity. Yeah. But after a while, it's going to get dark. I, I don't think we've seen the results of like how damaging reality TV can be for the people who are involved. Not in the long run, no. We see a few... Even this year, like earlier... Back in May, there was uh, the pro wrestler in Japan, the female pro wrestler named Hana Kimura, who was on that Netflix reality show. It was called like Terrace House Tokyo. Mm. And uh, she got bullied because of some stuff that she did on the show, which was told to her. You know, it was scripted. It's scripted basically, but it's a reality show. But she was supposed to like, you know, have a conflict with one of the guys and she like knocked his hat off or something like that. And they wanted her to hit him and he, she didn't want to hit him. So she was like, all right, well I'll knock his hat off. And then she just got like bullied because of it. Like people are just treating her horribly and she ended up committing suicide. Like, so Those are the worst kind of people. Yeah. Who, I don't know. Who, who respond to like fictional like stuff or like shows. Bullshit. It's just bullshit. And they like attack those people yeah. responsible as if it matters. Yeah. If it affects them in any way, and they completely forget and detach from the the idea that they're people, which is what everyone who watches the Truman Show has done. They've completely removed themselves from this idea that he is a real person, and they just watch a show. But once it's on TV, it's like it's a complete. Once he's in a box in their living room, it's like he's not a real person. I know that's yeah. the whole gimmick, but like, if they're if you're really seeing him as a real person, you would want him not to be on that show. That's why there's yeah. like groups of people fighting for his freedom, protecting yeah. the show and stuff, making it look bad. I, yeah, I, I really enjoy that element to it, you know, and it seems like people are just stoked, like that he got out <laughs> and he just like, yeah. it goes back to like Sylvia's pin that it was on her like sweater that Truman had that said, how will it end? How does it end? How will it end? Which is great. But that's, in itself, it's a great PR stuff. <laughs> yeah. You'll be like, I don't know. I have to see how it ends. And it had a pretty great ending. Him yeah. bowing, like the show is over, and he walked into the darkness behind the curtain. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's taking art, like, I'm glad it's on Netflix. I'm glad more people watch it or are rewatching it. It's yeah. taking another layer on because we're all in quarantine. And so the feeling is amplified of living in a contained bubble and sort of living the same day over and over again. Yeah. Um, that's why I <laughs> thought it was fun for us to talk about it. But that's just tip of the iceberg. Yeah. There's so much. If it, if you want it to be, there's so much there. I mean, it's an entertaining film by itself. Yeah. But like, if 
makes you question stuff, and that's a good thing. Anything that forces people to think more critically is good, because not enough people do that in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fuck corporations. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck all fuck that stuff. Fuck the media. Yeah, fuck the man. We're doing it. <laughs> we out here. We don't care. Well, <laughs> we're... We're going to wrap up here because we've been going way too no, long. No, man. Let's keep it I going. No idea. <laughs> let's do another hour. <laughs> Fuck it. Truman Show is so crazy. I didn't think it'd be this long. I love Truman Show. It's on, like we said, it's on Netflix. We're not really trying to promote Netflix. You still try to go see films in the cinema when, when you know, open. cinemas are yeah. properly open, but do it safely. Don't rush out there. Uh, support your cinemas any way you can, not including just the Prince Charles Cinema. There's other great cinemas and they're all doing similar things. If, you know, they're not open yet, or if they are open, they probably have ways that you can support them by buying merchandise or buying tickets to future performances when it's a little bit safer, vouchers, memberships, yeah. vouchers, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I mean, we'll be back soon and hopefully Truman Show gets at it, you know, into the program someday because it's great to see on the big screen. It's a really fun film. We've shown it over the years, you know, since I've been working there a few times. So mm-hmm. great movie. Uh, Jim Carrey's fucking amazing in it. And this is just like a sweet spot of his career. It's like so good yeah. at that time period. Uh, but yeah, um, so that's wrapping up. I don't know what we're doing next week yet. We'll be figuring that out. Another Mamma Jamma. <laughs> It'll probably be a Mamma Jamma. I don't know. That's what we're calling these big long episodes. This turned out to be a Mamma well, Jamma. Every episode. Yeah, now. every episode just... <laughs> fucking long we have too much time on our hands hopefully you guys are enjoying this do you prefer long episodes or shorter episodes does it matter i don't know i wish people would let us know (laughs) yeah i wish anyone would let us know simulation it's a simulation but anyway as always you can hit us up at the pcc podcast on twitter and instagram or you can go to podcast at princecharlescinema.com via your email inbox and drop us an email whatever you however you talk to people you can do that you can talk to us (laughs) And uh, yeah, you can hit us up at patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. You can support the podcast. If you got any extra dough that you're not spinning on any better ethically sourced things, I don't know. There's a lot of petitions out there and things to donate to really good causes that are better than supporting us. But if you got anything left over, you can support us for $5 or more a month. We're giving you bonus episodes. Myself and Ariane are going to get together for some really cool stuff at the end of this week and I promise you we're going to make up all the late June episode that we didn't do (laughs) we're going to be doing that soon Uh, we're going to get back on track Uh, but anyway that's podcast uh, sorry patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast anyway that's podcasting (laughs) that's podcasting Uh, Phil where can people find you and what are you doing this week what am I doing Um, let me let me just check my imaginary diary (laughs) <laughs> still, nothing still Absolutely. playing the last of us yeah i mean i'll play like i played it like all through the weekend and now i'm like I'm taking a break yeah. um i'm reading the highway code could i was like maybe i should learn to drive finally oh cool <laughs> um yeah. during this period could literally not, not doing anything else yeah um i need to do that which i know how to drive i just need to learn how to drive over here <laughs> I mean, now, yeah, I'll I'll keep you updated. Yeah, so I've only I've only just started. Not all I know is like how to safely cross the street. But you know, hopefully, I can build on that knowledge and get into a car eventually. Yeah, 
Maybe that'll become a new segment, Driving Watch. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Jesus. Yeah, it's all legal now. Um, uh, well, until then, people can find me at the usual spot. At FarawayThad on Twitter. At DogNimep on Instagram. And in case I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Yeah, you, you can find me at Tolver. <laughs> <laughs>